In this episode we will be talking about dyslexia at workplace. What is dyslexia? How do people with dyslexia learn? And most importantly, how can we make our workplaces more inclusive for neurodiverse people? We have Will Wheeler with us who is the founder of the Dyslexic Evolution, an author, motivational speaker, and so much more. Being a dyslexic himself, he has battled with this learning difficulty his whole life. However, he doesn't consider dyslexia a disability, but a special ability. His main goal is to change this very view of the world on dyslexia. He wants to create successful leaders and entrepreneurs around the world. He acknowledges how workplaces aren't dyslexia or neurodiverse friendly and wants to actively change that. So let's go ahead and speak to this inspiring man who didn't let the world dictate his success. Hi, Will. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Very well. Thank you, yourself. Very well. Very well. So, uh, just wanted to start to talk to you about your journey. Uh, like we discussed the other day, I wanted to talk to you about dyslexia. So, before we get into it, I want to start with understanding your journey from your early life to uh, the point uh, of today, where you've become a very successful entrepreneur. Yeah, not a problem. So, you know... Uh, like a lot of other dyslexic people, you can probably say I was someone who struggled really hard in school. And um, I had teachers who, you know, just didn't understand the way I used to learn. And, you know, from a very young age, I found that, you know, I was losing a lot of respect from my teachers. They just didn't believe in me. And as the years went on, my I suppose, you know, school and myself just didn't really agree with each other. So, you know, as as I sort of moved on in my career, or sorry, in my schooling life, um, it just got worse and worse as the years went on and especially into high school. I just, you know, I wasn't able to progress. I kept on struggling. There was never really any time there where I was really doing well in school. So, you know, for me... Um, my confidence and and all of that were just shot because um, I had no real clear guidance. You know, back in school, I was always told that, you know, if you don't do well in school, you're never going to be anything. So for me, I suppose that taking that on board and then, you know, finishing high school and failing high school, I, I, you know, I really didn't see see myself as having much of a future. As I got out of high school and then into the the big working world, I, um, I, I really just didn't have any confidence. And as I sort of like started working and getting into um, different roles and all that and being given different responsibilities, I really started to see, um, I suppose, myself develop. And, you know, other people started to see a real um, shine in me as well. So, you know, that was great. But still, what I was finding was with certain jobs or certain managers that I would start having, um, they really just didn't understand dyslexia. And, you know, there was so many times where I was put into situations where I just wasn't able to work to my strengths. And because of that, I was actually put um, 
into situations where I'd fail. So, you know, it, it really, I, I suppose, knocked my confidence to be able to go on and do some really great things. So, you know, from that, I've been able to learn about, you know, what it is we need, what it is we need to do to help dyslexic people. And I suppose my mission now is to help people to be able to succeed in their career because what I found was once I started really putting myself out there and and really um, surrounding myself with the right people, I started to achieve all these great things. So, you know, it was possible. It was just very hard to find that direction to start with. Right. So the transition that you explained to me mm. from very early on in your life, wherein even understanding what dyslexia means to the point that today you want mm. to enable other people to become successful in their careers, wherein there isn't an in spite of dyslexia, but more like you want to celebrate it. And one of the interesting things about you is that, uh, you know, the way you speak about dyslexia, you always use the words proud mm. with it or that it's more of a strength as opposed to looking at it yeah. as a weakness. And that's a very inspiring thing. Uh, where did this shift uh, come in your perception from the point of feeling mm. underconfident to mm. getting to this Yeah, point? well, it was actually interesting because... Um, I, I had someone say to me at, at one point in my life that, you know, I'd never go on to achieve anything in life. I was afraid of change and I was always going to be the same. And at that point there, I really learned that, you know, up until that point, I was pushing the world away. I was looking down on myself and, and not really seeing myself for all the, mm -hmm. the great things I could achieve. And I suppose from that, I really started to go, hang on, I am actually good at what I can do. And I started stepping outside of my comfort zone more. So one of the biggest things for me was I just, after that happened, I actually just packed up everything and just moved overseas for a few years. And, you know, from that, mm -hmm. I was able to learn so much about myself. I was able to learn a lot about how how what I needed to learn I also learned a lot about you know the right people to be around and how I was a good person and then from that coming back to Australia um, you know I really started to mix with the right people and it was really interesting just in a short space of time once I changed a few little things um, how many big things started to happen in regards to my career. I started winning awards and doing all these great things. And that's what really boosted my confidence. Um, but still, what I was finding was still there was a lack of understanding of dyslexia. And, you know, I, I was still, um, I suppose, struggling in some, in a term of speaking, um, because I there wasn't any understanding of it. And, and I suppose that's where I've been able to go, okay, we need to do more here and really work towards building something like that. I'm really glad that you actually touched on that because I wanted to also address this mm. uh, because you're an expert here. A lot of people mm. still don't know what it is, right? So people understand it in terms of defining the dyslexia yep. as one of the learning disabilities. But there are also a lot of misconceptions. They think that it's uh, it, it's like a visual problem. Maybe we're, that you know people mm. are not able to see the letters yeah. visually correctly. So uh, why don't you just explain to us what 
uh, dyslexia is and uh, what are the symptoms or indicators and you know all the myths and misconceptions yeah. around it if you could so just throw some light on that. So obviously it's uh, it's classed as a as a disability with learning so with the way that current you know mm-hmm. practices are within a, lots of schools all over the world obviously people with dyslexia struggle with that way of learning so that could be things like learning how to read you know we really struggle with that um you know writing um grammar and punctuation all that type of stuff but you know probably one of the biggest things that i've found as well was it's not just about that as well what i found especially in the workplace was how instructions are given to me sometimes the way that workplaces are set up just don't fit in with the way that we learn and understand which can be a real struggle for us in the workplace there so that's a little bit about the struggles that we can face um but it's really interesting when i speak to more people about it especially like big time entrepreneurs like um, i've been speaking just recently i've been speaking to a lot of um, entrepreneurs and um, angel investors over in the United States who are dealing with, you know, multi-billion mm-hmm. dollar companies. And, you know, that they wouldn't even see themselves as having mm-hmm. a disability. It's more that they just learn differently and they do things differently. So, you know, it's really interesting when you get a different perspective on how we can, I suppose, view dyslexia. Right. And I think this links to this survey that I was uh, going through on your website, which was an extremely mm. interesting survey. And one of the pieces of it were that uh, there was a sh- one shot survey that you conducted with HR and diversity yep. and inclusion specialists yep. I think back in 2018. And one of the very interesting responses was that when asked if an organization would see yep. dyslexia as a disability yep. or a different way of learning, 93.8% of the people voted for the former was that they genuinely looked at yep. it as a disability, as opposed to when you asked if the dyslexic people themselves look at it as a disability. And they voted more for saying, no, it's yeah. not a disability. It's just a very it's a huge, way a huge gap right of there, learning. You know? um, and, and it's really funny with that same survey, um, I think especially with the DNI specialists there, um, we actually asked the question like, um, do, you, do you have something along the lines of, um, if you ha- do you have um, dyslexic people working in your workplace? And they said yes. And then um, I think we also had another question saying, um, do you have anything in place to help these people? And I'm pretty sure it was um, a really high percentage said no. So the real interesting part to that was they know they've got these people who struggle, but yet they do nothing to help them. I thought that was really strange. (laughs) A huge gap right there. Yeah, but I I think this also goes back to not that most of the organisations are not really educated about what this really is, like you know, you may not know what dyslexia. Is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, it, kind it, of training has to kind of. Yeah, be... like look, totally, and and you know, I was I I get I get so many people from around the world. Like seriously, I'm connected with thousands of dyslexic people all over the world, and you know, I get I get people writing to mm-hmm. me all the time saying, "How can we convince people to understand?" 
um, that dyslexia is actually a positive. And I think to myself, we're approaching this the wrong way. Why would we want to convince people that dyslexia is a positive? What we really need to do is we need to become the people who we need to convince. So, you know, a dyslexic person doesn't need to be convinced that we are good at what we do. So that's why it's so important that we're building people up, um, dyslexic people, I should say, who um, into leadership positions, management positions, where we can make these calls and help people to better understand what it is that um, we can really use to help these people succeed, if not um, help these people to help the businesses innovate and succeed and stand out from the rest. Absolutely. And I think neurodiversity is a pretty much on yeah, similar look, lines wherein we don't look at these things yeah, as uh, some kind of abnormality. Uh, yeah, totally. Like and and the thing is, the especially with neurodiversity, I think um, what I've found especially is people have no idea about it. They could be afraid of it because, you know, I, I was just I just spent um, a whole year sitting on a um, on a committee for a diversity and inclusion um, organization here in Sydney and not one of them asked me at one point anything about neurodiversity they didn't even ask me if what their practices were were um, um, fitted in with my needs and you know what it really showed me that you know there is this huge gap there and I suppose this, um, I don't even know the word I'm trying to think of, maybe ignorance um, towards learning new things and being able to mm -hmm. innovate. And it just does my head in sometimes. Right. So for people who do not know yeah. what neurodiversity okay. is and if you can explain it to them, so, uh, uh, if you it, could it, just... It uh, is quite yeah. broad, but so neurodiversity is actually the term used so you've got um, you've got neurodivergent, yeah. So neurodivergent, so which is people like I'm pretty sure it's neurodivergent. So you've got neurotypical, and then you've got um, I'm pretty sure it's neurodivergent. I can't even remember off the top of my head. Um, but neurotypical, so neurotypical <laughs> are people who do not have, um, say, dyslexia, autism, ADHD you know, similar brain type of things. Um, mm -hmm. Not, I wouldn't say what's wrong with them. That's just mm -hmm. who they are, you know. So neurotypical would be classed as your stereotypical right. everyday person where neurodivergent um, people are your people with um, dyslexia, your ADHD, um, autism, all that type of stuff there. Tourette's, all those types of things there. Now, you know, it's been, you know, there's proven evidence that, you know, people like us in the neurodiversity, you know, you know, neurodivergent people, we do think differently. We do things differently. We can, you know, our strengths outweigh our weaknesses. And, you know, workplaces are just not looking at this to be able to, um, I suppose, benefit from it, which in a way is a joke, but at other times it can be frustrating as well. 
So like you touched upon that it's just uh, people are not really making complete use or full use of the fact that dyslexic mm. people just look at things differently. Would you want to talk about the different learning styles yeah, in terms yeah. of people in terms of dyslexic people how they learn? Well is the thing is the thing also? is what we need to yeah. remember as well is that no dyslexic person is the is the same as another dyslexic person. They're, we are all so different or I could say probably so diverse that it's really hard to find a one size fits right. all. So, you know, we all learn differently and, you know, the, you know, you got your traditional way of, I don't know, school as in you read a book, you learn what's in that book and then you have a test where, you know, dyslexic people, we may need to, we may struggle to receive that information we might need to look over that information more than once. And the thing is, once we get that information, you know, there's no stopping us. We can, we, we, we get it then. It's just trying to understand that and process that. That can sometimes be the struggle there. But, you know, a, you know, a big way that I like to learn is, um, you know, by the, by videos, being able to visually see what it is that I need to learn. So if I need to learn to find something in Word, for example, let's say I'm using um, Microsoft Word and I need to find, I need to do a certain, um, I know, something with Word, with a Word document, I can easily go to YouTube and find how to do that. You know, so and I can go back and watch that whenever because our short term right. memory, you know, I could be shown that by someone, but then the next day I'll completely forget, you know, so being able to go back and watch that can help. Um, right. Also, too, being able to visually see people doing something that can help as well. Like I said, sometimes it can take us a little bit, but once we get it, there's no stopping us because what we start to do and especially in the workplace as well we start to then um, develop these skills. Well, what I'll, I'll take myself as an example. Once I learn something, I then start breaking it down and finding easier and easier ways to complete that task. Now, once I've broken it down and made it so easy to do, I'm Brilliant. saving a lot of time. Productivity is higher. And, you know, we're potentially making more money for the company because we're able to go on to other projects a lot better. Plus, we've got the systems down pat that it's it's just so easy for us. So, But the only other problem is we get bored really easy. So we need to be looking for new things to make it more interesting for us. That's quite interesting, and um, I did not know that, so thank you for that. Uh, before we get into uh, the diagnosis mm. of uh, uh, dyslexia, well, I wanted to just take a couple of yep. minutes to focus on the emotional well-being of yep. people who uh, uh, with dyslexia. Yep. Like, I was watching a TED Talk yesterday, and the speaker mentioned a research wherein it was observed that children and adults uh, suffering mm. from difficulties in reading and writing go through the same level of shame yep. as people indulging in incest. And that was quite shocking that while kids are growing up, uh, just the very act of them not being able to mm. read and write as quickly as other people, they're suffering from this mm. continuous stress yep. and worry. 
and shame uh, uh, and uh, that's quite concerning so as somebody who's gone through that uh, what would you want to say on emotional well yeah look and, of um, course mental health I've, i definitely know what it's like in regards to mental health because you know and, and you know i used to think that i was the only one who used to really go through that stuff especially regarding my um dyslexia and all that type of stuff but yeah once i reached out to other people it definitely was, uh, you know, a lot of us have gone through those things. If it's embarrassment, if it's not shame, if it's the frustration out of not being able to do something because you can't read something or whatever that is, um, definitely plays a huge role. But, you know, a, a big thing that I've found is really helpful, and, and this really goes back to the having the right people around you, is that, you know, once you're open about it and you can share what you're going through, this day and age, we are getting better with mental health and all that, but still we're missing the little things. So there's no point me, go, well, there is a point, but if I go to someone and say, look, I'm really struggling with my mental health because I struggle to read, if I'm telling a manager that has no understanding about dyslexia or whatever that is, that can sometimes make mm. the matter worse, you know, because they may deal with it in a way that you're thinking, yeah, now this person right. is treating me like I'm a complete idiot, you know, little things like that. So, you know, this is where, once again, having more dyslexic leaders in our workplaces can definitely help to, you know, change a lot of things regarding mental health, changing the stigma, changing how people are brought up around dyslexia and, you know, the positives that which it can bring. Right, right. So, uh, like you spoke of um, mm. employers and the importance of having dyslexic leadership so that that information can be passed on. And, of course, it's a more mm. sensitive environment for everybody uh, in it yep. so that they can be more productive and they can grow. Uh, in terms of diagnosing, uh, what kind of assessments are available in the market that an individual or employer can use? Yeah, uh, look, like dyslexia? the thing is, like what you probably, if if you have, you know, the thing is, like with especially dyslexia, you 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 want to go to professionals to go get diagnosed for that. You don't want to, you know, I hear some real dodgy type of things going on, but you really need to go to a properly trained psychologist who's trained in being able to identify dyslexia and what they're able to do when they do that, they're able to mm -hmm. identify, you know, the right, um, you know, certain areas where that dyslexic person actually excels in. So a lot of their strengths, they might be able to identify their, their weaknesses. So, you know, it can be a real positive, but you've got to take the right avenues. I've actually got a friend of mine um, who has just um, designed a, an app that can actually identify dyslexia through um, artificial intelligence. Now, that app doesn't tell you if you're dyslexic. What it does is if you read the... Um, um, the that, so I'm pretty sure it's got writing that comes up on a screen, and then you read that writing, and then so okay. this is more designed for kids at the moment. I do know he's going to be going, and the company's called Distech, by the way. Um, yeah, 
So what oh, what you, you do is the kid reads that and then I, I'm not sure how it works, but what mm-hmm. can happen once they read back a whole range of things, it then comes back with a percentage of the kid could be. So, for example, if it comes back 80% chance that the kid is um, dyslexic, then you can go, okay, well, what we need to do, we then need to go and get him test, him or her tested um, to get a diagnosis there. So there are tools. It's just being able to make sure you take the right methods to be able to get there. Oh, that's quite an interesting app. And if that happens, it would be uh, uh, such yeah. a great help, right? Like that would be the first preliminary thing. It's the very first step. And if you do that, then, you know, you can go well, ahead and thing, get, well, get your tests thing, done. And uh, it can make yeah, uh, it very easy for yeah, people. Yeah, totally. And, and the dyslexia. thing is, like, um, when I've been speaking to um, the CEO, I think a big goal of his is to eventually, because so at the moment they do adults, but um I'm sorry, they do kids, um, but they want to do adults eventually. And what the goal would be to, you know, have it in a lot of workplaces or, you know, especially where there's countries where because, like, the cost of getting someone tested can go into the thousands. Now, um, for a third-world country, that may not be um, practical, but with a simple, easy um, test you know, you may be able to identify this a lot better um, in those countries and it's more practical as well. Right. Actually, this is quite helpful uh, because I feel that very rightfully, like you mentioned, some of these assessments Mm. are extremely costly and uh, taking individual assessments can become very tough for, um, you know, people who come from very humble backgrounds and it gets, uh, you know, to get into the entire process can be very, a very costly affair. Uh, and this can come in very handy. Uh, but if we spoke of, let's say, indicators um, or symptoms, uh, even if, um, you know, we didn't need any tool whatsoever, if we were to observe, let's say, uh, first three or four or five things in order to somehow get an idea that the child may be dyslexic, what would those indicators uh. be? I I suppose there's a lot of indicators, but it really depends on the child themselves. It can depend on, you know, even sometimes the sex of the child. Um, It can be very difficult because, um, you know, I think a big thing for myself when I was in school was, yeah, I struggled um, with um, school. I was getting in trouble all the time. So I really stood out. So, um, you know, it was clear that something wasn't right there so you know for me that's where I was able to be identified quite easy there where you know often you hear about a lot of um, females have been able to fly under the radar because they're not some of them aren't as um, you could probably say naughty at school so it's very easy for them to not be a part of me to be identified or for people to pick up on the um, that there's an issue there. So um, it can be quite difficult. But I suppose some of the indicators could be things like, you know, spelling incorrectly. Or, you know, I, I think a big thing that I used to have was 
I would have all the letters that I needed to spell a word, but I'd have it in the wrong place, you know, um, little things like that um, right. that can really be noticeable when, um, um, you know, growing up, even I suppose your report cards and all that type of stuff um, could probably be a big indicator as well. Okay. And one thing that you uh, mentioned, which is very interesting, is yep. uh, the sex of the child. And uh, mm. it just hit me right now that when we're studying about uh, dyslexia, one of the few things is that it's the right side of the brain, which is more active, which is more responsible yep. for things which are more visual yep. and artsy. And uh, while uh, and, and if we look at the gender stereotypes, sometimes we associate women with more artsy stuff, while men are associated more with, let's say, your logical yep. and analytical and maths and science. So do you think some, uh, with male children, if they're performing uh, poorly, do you think that's more pronounced or do you think that's uh, equal? Um, like I said, like it, uh, this, and this is what, you know, I've learned over the years once being an advocate for dyslexia and all that. So what I, I've really found and heard is that, you know, a lot of males are easier to, identify because we do we misbehave in class if we're not doing well we get distracted which which then causes us mm. to misbehave so and this is where you know females you know don't tend to be you could probably say as bad um as us as as males right. okay. you could probably say so it can be harder to identify um if a female is dyslexic Right. So let's move on to understanding the career options of uh, people who, are, um, you know, uh, have dyslexia. Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact that, you know, even in your survey, there were people from such varied uh, sectors, right, from finance to yeah. accounting to all of these things. Right. Yeah. So, of course, we know it's not restricted to something which has to be uh, only visual. Uh, but if we had to explore career options, uh, what uh, career options do you think is the most suitable for people with dyslexia? Um, once again, and, and you know what, it, probably before I did that survey, I always used to say, oh, look, you know, you may have people who might be better suited off to this sector, like maybe sales or, um, you know, the arts or, or something like that. But honestly, after doing that survey, it really did open my mind to that really, you, you couldn't really put it to uh, you can't really say that hey look um I, you're dyslexic so i think you're going to be more suited to this i think if someone has a dream or passion to want to excel in a certain career go for it um yeah you might find some challenges along the way but you know those challenges will probably be what helps you to be able to stand out and become really good at your career. So honestly, to answer that question there, I really couldn't say which careers to go for because you can see from that survey that um, that um, p dyslexic people are everywhere. You know, you can't really just put it to one sort of area. I remember when I was finishing off school, a lot of I would say, hey, look, I'm um, finishing school what area should I look into and a lot of people used to say oh look because you're dyslexic you're probably going to need to get a forklift job or 
um, you know, being in a warehouse or in construction. And really, honestly, that's a load of crap because, you know, we can do anything mm-hmm. if we want to put our minds to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite inspiring for people who, um, because I think we tend to bucket people a lot. So we want to put certain uh, spheres of, um, you know, occupation, which are for certain people. Yeah, totally. And I think that... Well, this perception. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we could say that um, dyslexic people struggle with writing, but you know what? I've just read, I've just wrote her um, an international book. You know what I mean? With something like forty-five thousand yeah, well, words, yeah. seventeen chapters. So that hasn't yeah. stopped me. You know, so yeah. it's very hard to say, oh, because he's dyslexic, he can't write. I can write. I just struggle with mm-hmm. certain things. So, yeah. and we can find ways around those. So that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you on that. I also saw one of the books, which was, uh, I think, uh, a visual book, which was uh, how to be motivated. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was it was quite interesting. So congratulations. Thank to you, you so much. Doing great, great work. It's pretty cool to be an, an author. I never thought, <laughs> I, I honestly never thought I'd be an author my whole life. So it is pretty, uh, I suppose, sometimes I still have to pinch myself. And it, a lot of people, you know, congratulate me or they're just blown away. But for me, I, I'm just, it, it still hasn't really hit me. Or to me, it's just one part of a small process that I'm working towards, you know. So, yeah, I suppose it's great. So thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. And in a similar way, like we were talking and also coming back to boxing people, mm. uh, we can move on to recruitment processes. While I say that, I feel attacked because I'm a recruiter. So I'm kind ah, of insulting my own self all in the good. process. We've all got a job today. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but in terms of recruitment processes, again, going back to your survey, because it was so informative, mm. uh, 70% of the people said that they find recruiting practices really difficult to get through. And one of the very common responses was, less psychometric tests and not lengthy written answers. Mm. And, um, you know, one thing that came up very often was to really ask what's relevant for the job. And that was quite interesting because I went back to thinking, yeah, sometimes we're really asking questions which which has nothing to do with the job. Yeah, totally. Uh, They're very long drawn. (laughs) They're tiring. Yeah. So on similar lines, what do you think? What kind of processes can we put in place or what kind of changes can we do? In the very initial stage, let's say in uh, the stage of selection while we're going through CVs or making calls, what kind of changes do you think we can make? (coughs) Um, Look, I think it was really interesting. Last year, I really stepped back and tried to have a look and understand how the whole recruitment process works, especially with recruiting agencies and all that. And from what I could learn, it's, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. It's a sales game. And I get that, you know. But what I found was that 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 doesn't work in with, you know, getting the right person really, you know, because we, what, what dyslexic people who are really trying to say as well and what you probably see in that um, uh, survey there was that, you know, we have these great skills and we know we can do them, but a lot of the time we're being, we're, we're, we're only being able to showcase those skills on a two on a piece of paper really, or in two A4 size pieces of paper. 
and showing our career that way. And really, how, how would you know that someone can really use a certain program or is, has really great ideas mm. from looking at a piece of paper, yeah. you know? Um, you know, so there does need to be different processes in place. And, and this is where if organizations can be more accepting of dyslexic people or even um, neurodiverse people, we can actually put different measures into place to be able to identify, um, you know, the skills a little bit better. So, you know, um, it could be um, things like, you know, the interview process. How is that going to be done? Um, are we able to showcase some of our strengths? Um, little things like that. Mm-hmm. Just excuse me for a sec. <coughs> Sorry. So, yeah, little things like that. So um, I think we need to look at the process a lot. Um, and then, you know, because what's happening is we're not even getting through the first round. We're sending in e- uh, our resumes or CVs and um, we don't look good on paper. So straight away, we're not getting interviews. We And a lot of the time, the interviews that we are getting are the jobs that no one else will take. So once again, we're getting put into a pool of people yeah. who... Um, or a pool of um, organizations that um, just don't fit in with how we do things. Right. I think it goes back <laughs> to the same thing. When we look at a CV, mm. we're looking at academic qualifications, right? So we're looking at if somebody is like a 70 or an 80 yeah. center, right? And uh, it goes back to the same thing. It goes back to the fact that, you know, dyslexic people don't learn the same way. And that's not accounted for mm. in terms of numbers. Yep. And um, yeah, so uh, like we spoke about the kind of changes uh, we can make within the organization, whether it was in leadership uh, or, you know, like educating people. What kind of physical adjustments do you think we can make to the environment uh, in the office or the workplace structure, which can be more uh, uh, dyslexia? Yeah, so obviously, probably some things is the type of tools that are available for um for um, dyslexic employees, that could definitely help because some places will not allow you to use certain things. Um, so that can, right. be, that can be a real problem. Also, too, having areas where a dyslexic person might be able to go to um, and work um, because we do get really distracted when we're in the workplace. Um, you know, I think another big thing, too, is having managers understand it a little bit better um, and yeah, just having some a bit, bit of a better understanding about it in the workplace can definitely help as well. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but um, yeah, so um, managers having a bit of a better understanding, but actually a real interesting um, report that I read um, not long ago was um, um, an organization, so what is it, Universal Music actually released, a, um, I think it's something like Neurodiversity in the Creativity, I can't even remember the name of it, but it was um, a whole bunch of really well-known um, doctors from around the world actually went mm, into this okay. survey and um, they actually identified a few things to be able to make a more inclusive neurodiverse workplace. And I actually spoke about, you know, trying to have a committee 
um, of neurodiverse people, um, all that type of thing where you're able to bring up certain things um, within the workplace Mm -hmm. to be able to take to the diversity inclusion specialists or um, all that type of stuff. Or they even spoke about as well was having, um, oh, what else did they speak about? Having like buddies, people that you might be able to go talk to if, you know, if you're dyslexic or whatever, who may be able to pass that information on to management if you don't feel comfortable to do that type of thing as well. So, yeah, there's definitely lots of stuff out there. And I think these adjustments are pretty doable. Like I was reading that, you know, these small things you can put a notepad if, you know, uh, in your training session so that people can make a note or maybe record the training session so that they can go back and listen to it at their own pace. And these are very small adjustments which can be made. It's not very, uh, you know, uh, difficult. But like you've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, people with dyslexia tend to feel distracted. Uh, A lot of times, does uh, uh, dyslexia and ADHD overlap? Is it something which is is quite common? Yeah. Or do you think they're both? From what I've heard, yes, definitely. You know, I'm no expert on like ADHD, but you often do hear that um, ADHD does, you know, a lot of people with ADHD can be dyslexic. Or um, actually, it's actually funny you ask that question because... Um, I was speaking to, I can't remember the organisation, it was something like ADHD Australia and this was the CEO or something and he was actually talking about that ADHD usually comes with a buddy. So if it's ADHD and Tourette's, ADHD and dyslexia, ADHD and autism, um, so yeah, it can sometimes, um, that sometimes can be the case. Right. So instead of it being one of the things, it's something that comes in different kinds of variations within like different uh, uh, disabilities like uh, ADHD. Like yeah, dyslexia, yeah, dyslexia. yeah, yeah. It's often, yeah, often from what I've been told. I'm no doctor or nothing like that, but like from what I've been told around um, other, um, a lot of my connections who I um, frequent around, um, they've shared that type of information with me. This conversation has been really insightful, Will. Uh, and before I sign off, I just want for you to uh, probably give a very nice message or any message that you would want to to all the people who are uh, dyslexic, um, anything that you think would inspire them or motivate them or just maybe uh, make them feel comfortable. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, look, if, if you're a dyslexic person and, you know, you have those dreams and ambitions to really want to develop and make something from your career you know definitely go for it i think i think what we do need to remember is that being dyslexic it can be hard for us but what makes us you know by having things that are harder for us it makes us a better person it makes us so much much more skilled and our strengths become a lot stronger than other people because of a lot of because our life is a lot harder for us sometimes so you know surrounding yourself with the right people connecting with the right people and reaching out to people and really just being yourself is what's going to help you to really excel in your life because once you can be yourself you don't have to worry about what others think and you're able to just concentrate on you and be the best person you can possibly be 
That's lovely and so inspiring. I think as somebody who's not dyslexic, I often feel very inspired uh, when I have a conversation with you because it makes me realize that if it takes you longer, even if it's something mm. takes you uh, to do something differently, mm. you're putting as much effort and you're learning so much more in the process that maybe I wouldn't. Yeah. So um, totally. I can see how that's a strength. Yeah, totally, Absolutely. totally. We, we, we learn from our failures and, you know, I think a big thing as well in business, you're encouraged to fail because they say that you learn from your failures. And I used to think to myself, why would I be afraid of failing, especially in business, when my whole life in school, mm. I used to fail. So I've learned so much from that, which has given me yeah. the upper hand in so many situations yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. That's lovely. Well, I wish you all the best for all your future endeavors. I see you're coming up with a lot of services and a lot of other things. You're also planning to do your own recruitment agency. And all of that sounds great. I wish you all the best. I hope you do really well. And uh, you can also expand to third world countries. I hope you can come to India and also well, not a problem. help us out I'd here. love to come to India. And, and you can take me out and show me all the great places around India. Am I correct? Absolutely, yes. And then you do the same when I come Likewise, to Australia. So. <laughs> I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's great. Awesome. Well, thank you once again, uh, Will, for joining me today. I really hope we can do more podcasts like these so that they can be more informative and we can uh, get a chance to educate people. Not a problem. Well, thank you very much, um, Stu. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I really can't wait to hear the podcast. <laughs> great, lovely. I'll send it to you. <laughs> Not a problem. You take care. Or you too. Bye-bye. We hope you found the episode useful. If you did, please share the episode with your contacts or on social media. And if you'd like, please follow us on All Things Occupation on Instagram. We would like to hear from you. And if not done already, please subscribe to the podcast to not miss out on any future episodes. Till then, stay awesome. Bye.